Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Brendan from Master Talk. As an experienced speaker and facilitator, Brendan understands that audience members need to walk away captivated and above all, inspired to master the art of communication. It should be seen as something to look forward to rather than a burden that must be overcome. He is passionate about helping others achieve what he would call rocket level success, whether it's helping others overcome their fear of public speaking, helping startups with their pitch decks to raise capital, or in his current role as an, at IBM as a business transformation consultant, Brandon is striving to help clients transition to better technology HR solutions to help them to do business better. In today's episode, Brendan and I will be having a conversation on how to master the art of public speaking and how to master online presentations. I'd like everybody that's listening to welcome to the show, Brendan. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. Of course, do I? Pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So, first thing that I'd like to ask you is, you know, everybody asks it, you know, about a person in their background and stuff, but I always think about it. It's kind of funny because I'm, I'm huge into um, the DC world and into Marvel and stuff. And, you know, so tell me about your origin story and what key things from your childhood to adulthood that led you to want to be a coach consultant and help others. So what's your origin story? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the story begins when I was five years old, I was born and raised in a city called Montreal up in Canada. And for those who don't know, Montreal is one of the few cities in the world where most people in that city speak multiple languages. And French, being a required language in the city, was one I needed to learn. So my parents look at me and they go, well, Brendan, you got to learn this language, buddy. So we're going to put you in a French education system. And I kind of just went, okay. So not only was I uncomfortable with presentations my whole life, I had to give them in a language I didn't even know. So you can see me in grade one and grade two and stand up in the crowd, Dwight, and just look at people and just go, uh, bonjour. And that was my life for probably the vast majority of it. Then when I went to university, I started doing these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while the guys my age were playing football or soccer or baseball or something I really didn't understand, I used that same competitive spirit and I applied it to presentations. So that sounds bizarre, and it's actually very popular where you're from in Alberta. It's called JDC West. But the idea is simple. Business students take business problems 
that an executive from that company gives those students. And then we have to present a solution back to them. So a bunch of kids in their early 20s were presenting to executives in their 40s and 50s on how to run their businesses. That's what a case competition is, basically. So yeah. I was the, a maniac of cases. I probably had competed in 50 competitions myself, presented hundreds of times. I loved it. But by the time I'd graduated university and I got an amazing job in, in the corporate world, I just asked myself, what can I do to make the world better? What can I do to make a difference? And I just noticed a lot of the public speaking content available online was terrible. So I started making videos. My mother's basement thought it was a stupid idea. And then a year and a half later, here we are. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I have a hard enough time just mastering English, I can't imagine. So congratulations. Um, but yeah, really, you know, I have to agree. There's, there's not a lot of structure in teaching people to have confidence to speak. I know back when I was in grade school, we had to do reports and stand at the front of the class and speak, but they really didn't teach us anything. So put together something, Dwight, go stand in front of the class and now present it. They didn't teach us confidence, presentation skills. It's like throwing a you know, throwing you into the fire and they figure you're just going to learn. Some people were natural. People can have a natural tendency to be outgoing and introverted. I'm more extroverted. I freaked out. I am, or pardon me, I'm introverted and some people are extroverted. So I freaked out. I've had to force myself as an adult to become extroverted when I choose to be. I'm still more introverted. So, you know, it's good for you to get to that point where you're, you know, presenting and helping, you know, present business cases. Wow. That's amazing. Tether business people. Like that's, that takes some, you know, like they say that takes some moxie, right? So I'm proud of you. Good job. Appreciate it. So can, this is something I gleaned off of, I can't remember if it was LinkedIn or off of your, um, website. Can you explain to the listeners what your mantra, communicate to inspire, means? Yeah, absolutely. The way I think about communication, Dwight, as I progressed in the skill myself, is this idea that communication has very little to do with presentations, but rather everything that you do Communication is the conversations you have with your loved ones, the tough conversations you have with those individuals, the dinners, the dates, the negotiations, every interaction you have is public speaking, is communication. And from that logic, from that way of thinking about it, if we all learned how to communicate better, it's not about going on a stage and speaking to a thousand people or starting the big podcast or the YouTube show, though if that is your thing, go for it. But rather, thinking about communication as a way to inspire the communities around us and making the quality of our lives better. Here's a cheeky example. 80% of the fights that I have with my spouse, I'm not married or anything, but let's say 80% of them are not because I'm right and she's wrong or she's right and I'm right. Uh, wrong, rather. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. rather, we're both saying something right, but we just don't understand what we're saying. So if we we're just better at communicating, life would just be better. So that's the angle I like to take. So for me, an idea to inspire people doesn't mean a, you need a million su subscribers on a YouTube channel. It means having an idea that one person wants to listen to that needs to hear and spoil alert that's everybody yeah 
I smile because I think of those coffee table conversations where people are sitting around a coffee table and they're communicating. And, you know, as I've gotten better and I continually strive to be a better version of me and learning human nature, I look at the fact of the power of the human words, like one word, how it can be mistakenly thought of one way within a sentence structure. And like you said, you know, a spouse, like a couple or even friends or business partners or even people you're communicating with even at a grocery store can take things the wrong way when your intent was something different. And it's because we should be educated and taught about the power of words and how those words fit within learning to communicate. And then on top of that, I, I, I really appreciate what you said. I also think that people need to understand that those words need to connect with what they're projecting with their tonality and obviously their physical presence. And, you know, so you can be sitting around a coffee table conversation with new people and, and they're uncomfortable and you say something and you, and, and you're a jokester yet they don't know you as a jokester and they think that you're criticizing or you're attacking them. The next thing you know, you've gone from having potentially a new connection, a new relationship, a new friend to somebody that can't wait to leave and never wants to see you again. So I do appreciate the fact that, you know, you want to inspire and help people through, you know, learning to communicate. And you're right. It's not about having a million followers or being on YouTube. Um, but I am aspiring to do all that. Right. So, cause I want to effectively touch and reach more people too. Right. Um, my biggest thing is I'm afraid that the music's going to die within me and I don't want that. I want to make sure I've, I've uh, gone out and sang the song of how you can change your life. So um, what made you decide to become a speaking and presentation coach and what did you have to do to become a seasoned professional before us today? Yeah, so a couple of great points to add there. So the first thing that we want to think about is I never really made the decision to be a speech coach or a presentation coach. As you can probably tell from my past, I wasn't really interested in being any having anything to do with communication. I was really good at math, really bad at everything else. So I just wanted to be an accountant. And I got an internship at PricewaterhouseCoopers. For those who don't know, it's like yeah. an accounting firm. And I thought it was a water bottling company. That's how lost <laughs> I was when I started my first semester. So, because my, my parents were middle-aged middle workers, middle-class workers. So they didn't really have money or connections. and They all worked in minimum-wage factories. So yeah, I didn't know anything about the business world, frankly. So... What happened is when I got to university and I found out about these case competitions, I was like, oh, I should probably compete in these things. So many great companies that come and sponsor these. So I can probably get a job and get out of poverty. That was my rationale. And that's what most people do when they compete. But when I joined, a couple of things happened. First one, it became an obsession. You know, I love to describe myself as the Michael Jordan that nobody gives a shit about in the sense of like, I had that obsession for, for this thing that nobody really cared about, unlike MJ with basketball that everyone does care about. But the second thing is I realized that I was one of the best speakers just naturally, back to what you were saying off the record about this idea of having a natural gift and using that gift to benefit. So when I, when I entered year two in the program, I was, I was in the program for three years, that competition thing. Your goal as is year two is now you're a veteran. So now you want to coach the new people that are up and coming, that are starting school and entering the program. So when I looked at them and I looked at my skills, I said, oh, I'm really good at this public speaking thing. Why don't I try coaching them? 
And I doubt try was definitely the right word. You know, I wasn't great at the beginning, but over time, because that specific group is like the top, you know, they're like the top speakers in the world in that, in that category. So I was learning from them as much as they were learning from me. So by the end of the program, I'd coached dozens of these people who had went on to go to multiple countries and win multiple medals in this sport that we call Nerdland, anyways. But so what happened is without through a series of serendipitous events, you know, through me refining. So I, I became it became this obsession where every day I was either presenting or watching somebody else and coaching somebody else on presenting. Some days I would coach five different teams in a day. Like I was just crazy. I would sleep wow. at school sometimes. I was nuts. So anyways, it's weird. But the, the, the bottom line for those who are listening is the following. I learned 40 years of communication knowledge in four. So by the time I was 22, I knew more about communication than a lot of the people in the niche. That's why when I started watching everyone else's YouTube channels on communication, I was vomiting in my mouth. I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> but they had PhDs. They were like in their 30s. A lot of them had like very strong like credentials. You know, they had, you know, IBM as coaching organizations or something. And I just would, these guys know nothing about communications. So that's what happened. And then I started making videos. And then I started coaching CEOs when I was 23. It was like the weirdest thing. But yeah, that's kind of the short story of how that happened. It was never intentional. My goal was uh, to be a senior executive at a company. But I, an entrepreneur. I hear that a lot though. You know, that people just, you know, something that they try, they end up becoming an expert in. And the experts that are book taught, um, you know, school versus a school of hard knocks. Not against people that go to school, what I'm against the fact is that people come out of school with an attitude that they got a piece of paper, a degree, diploma, and they have attitude. And all it's done is tell the world that they have the ability to learn. They still have a, they haven't even started their journey in that career. Of, and, you know, now it makes so much sense why statistically, um, you know, close to 70% of the people that come out of like the University of Alberta um, don't even work in their field after they graduate. They've got a bunch of student loan debt. They've got a degree, diploma. And I'm not saying secondary school is bad. What I'm saying is, is that secondary school doesn't prepare people to the harsh reality of leaving school to try to find a job. The place they're going to apply for might want five years experience. They got zero. Trying to get the experience to get into a job. You know, when really in reality, they need to look at themselves and say, what am I strong at? What, have I want to tr what do I want to try to do? And I'm going to practice the hell out of that for the next you know, two, two, four years and become an expert at it. And the people that make me vomit in my mouth that are highly educated that can't do it, I'm going to run circles around them. And I'm going to connect to the masses of the population that really need to be spoken to. And that's what the problem is, is people are too focused on them and their knowledge and how smart they are and how much more they can teach you compared to somebody that could have gone just to the school of hard knocks, got no degree or diploma and, but just talks from the heart, builds relationships, cares about people. So, you know, thank you. Appreciate people like you that are out trying to make a difference. Um, so when you talk about doing the videos and as I mentioned prior to this, I've been doing the video challenge and our mutual friend, Tony Watley, um, is the one that he totally encourages people. That's how he, how he created his confidence. And 
he used also Toastmasters and stuff like that. You know, three years ago, he couldn't stand on a stage and now he gets hired to talk and communicate everywhere and has a, a massive uh, following and uh, mastermind. And he talks about video all the time. So I want to know what your take is, is how effective has video been to get across your message? And what did you do besides the repetition to master the skill? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the reason, and once again, let's start at the beginning, in the sense that never wanted to start a YouTube channel. I thought that was for rich people, right? I was just like, this is not something I want to do. Until one of my friends came up to me one day, and he asked me this question that I'll never forget. The question was, yeah, Brendan, you know, you're great at this public speaking thing. Why don't you start a YouTube channel? I said, why would I? I have a six-figure job waiting for me that can go up to multiple six. I might as well just focus on my career and be an executive front 30. And then he replied with, okay, do you have time to coach everyone on public speaking? Even if they paid you $1,000 an hour, do you have time to coach everybody? I said, what do you mean? And he's, then he said, the seven-year-old in Cambodia the 14 year old in the States in high school who wants to do really well at communication, but can't find any resources because everyone online is in their seventies and eighties. I'm obviously exaggerating. And then I looked at him and I said, Oh, I see what you're getting at. That's the point he was driving is that video allows you to scale your ideas. And this is true with podcasts and blogs, but more so with video in many senses to scale to the masses. If you want to reach people that if you care about the people, not to you directly, but to the audience, if you care about the people who can't afford you, you need to get on social media. You need to get on mediums where those people are hanging out if you want to impact them, if you want to make a difference. And when I started video, frankly, I sucked. And it was a huge hit to my ego, especially for someone like me who has you know, when competed in many competitions and done very well in communication. You know, I went from that to sitting alone in my mother's basement making videos with no budget and a phone because I had no money. I was still a broke student back then. So yeah, it, was, it sucked. But the reason, and the reason I kept going and how I got better, besides repetition, is this idea that progression always leads to obsession. So when I started making videos, I sucked, right? Like I said, I was not very good. But as time went on, what, what people what content creators don't do enough of doing is let's say seven people are watching, which was my case last year. I always ask them this question that they don't have a good answer to, which is how many of those seven people did you actually get dinner with? And they always go one, two. And I go, are you kidding me? If you have seven people watching you, you should be buying all seven of them dinner and asking them, why in the world are you watching me? <laughs> like, I don't get it. There's so many options out there. Why are you watching me? And through those series of dinner conversations, it fueled me to get better on camera because even if I was alone in my basement, I realized that I was actually talking to people. So seven subscribers soon turned into 14, double, double, double until we have what we have today. But the idea is by having discussions, I know this is counterintuitive advice, but by having more one-on-one -on -one discussions with your audience, it fuels your motivation, your desire to get better on camera. And the other thing I can say on camera specifically, I knew it was going to be much harder to draw out the same energy that I usually do alone. So I hired someone. So now I have someone who just sits there and records me. So I always feel like I'm presenting to that person rather than the world. Oh, okay. So those are some great skills though, right? There's uh, never thought about that. I, I like that. Uh, 
invite them for dinner and ask them like, why the hell are you listening to me? I never, you know, and that's so true because really we start with one and then it doubles and it doubles and it doubles. But really, have you ever asked that one? Why do you listen to me? What, what resonates? What actually makes you want to listen to me? And what do you get from it? Find out what, what value you give or maybe ask for constructive criticism right? What, what do you think I could add? What am I missing? I do that in my videos. I always ask people DM me, you know, and I do, I get people that'll send me messages saying, Hey, can you talk about this? Can you talk about that? Sometimes I want to, and other times it's like, nah, that's not really my, my jam. Right. But you know, at least there's communication. Right. Right. Let, let me push that even further. Let, let's dial this up to 11. Okay, so sure. 11 means, especially for someone like you wants to be big, I would say, why are you responding by text? Are you responding by voice notes? Cause that's what you should be doing. Right. If seven people are listening to you, that's one part. The second part is just so people understand kind of the insanity that is branded. Yeah. I've probably had more one-on-one conversations with eight year olds than anyone in my industry. And wow. let me tell you, why this matters because a lot of you are listening to me like why does this matter so i'll explain so one day i was six months into master talk once again i thought it was a stupid idea i never had any intention of going full-time with this i was doing really well at ibm and i enjoy working there even even today but anyways so i was given a workshop to a group of kids one weekend and you know it's like pro bono you know it's like a leadership thing so I, so i went there and i was talking to this eight-year-old and i asked her so what do you think about public speaking she was like Oh, you know, this public speaking thing, Brendan, like, I'm not, I'm scared of this thing. And I would ask her why, you know, what, what's, what are you worried about? And she would have like, you know, she'd get really flustered. And that's when I understood the insight that nobody else understood in my industry. Every other channel on YouTube focuses too much on the academia side of communication. They, their video sounds something like this, Dwight, these are the three styles of communication. One, two, three, you got to like hands-on communicate. Hands I was like, what the hell are these guys saying? Versus... <laughs> saying, what is the, how can I explain my content? How can I make my videos? Even if they're fancy and schmancy, I got a nice suit on and everything. I'm not denying that. But at the end of the day, how do I ensure that my content speaks equally to you as it does to a five, seven, nine-year-old girl? And that's what I realized. So for example, instead of saying like, oh, here are the three different types of communication, I would ask questions like this. How would the world change if you are an incredible communicator? Simple question. Why does nobody else in my industry ask it? But that's the punchline. You don't get to those insights if you don't talk to your audience. Nobody in, in my industry talks to everybody who could be watching their videos. And that's why I have a leg up over my competition in this niche. Wow. As you can tell, I'm writing. I do this. I'm, that's just something that's ingrained in me. I take notes, right? Um, and it's not necessarily that I, I, I've listened. I'll listen back to this a few times. But I like taking notes because, you know, pen to, pen to brain. Um, but yeah, that's amazing that you'd ask something like, how would the world change if you were a better communicator instead of being one, two, three? And, and that, and you know, you're talking, that's just like when you talk to, I've taught this for years because, you know, my kids are all growing up now. But people used to, you know, when they talk to kids, they'll talk down to them instead of getting at the eye level to them. You know, even with my grandkids, I'll get down and I'll talk to them so that they see me so they're not intimidated. And by you doing that, how would the world change if you're a better communicator? You're taking the intimidation factor away. You're taking the fact of fear of learning or is this something that 
I'm going to understand. And you're, you know, I hate to say it, but it's true. You're dumbing it down. And that's how everybody should be, though. We should always communicate like we're speaking, I think, to an eight-year-old, right? So that people feel more comfortable. They feel more relaxed. They don't feel on edge that they, they need to have a, the perfect response that they can talk in simplistic terms to, um, you know, have that connection. So that's, oh man, I, I, wrote, I got a lot of good notes here, but it, it is, it, it's has been amazing so far. Thank you so much. Um, By the way, so, just to build on what you said yeah. there, right, about the kids, I, you know, I, I'm always proud to say my most successful client is six years old. Six years one of my it's one of my executives is kids so back to what you said that really you know got me excited is i totally agree with what you said there's there's a curriculum right if somebody gave me the education system tomorrow for free right i would give and i'm happy to share it is this idea of treating the kids in the system the same age as you so when i met that six-year-old first class you know it's like a virtual room i asked her this question no teacher bothers asking a six-year-old what do you care about? What do you want to present? In the education system, 100% of all the presentations you give are to topics you don't like and to topics you don't choose, right? One or the other. So why would anyone like public speaking? They see it as a chore. Whereas when I asked her, she was like, oh, well, I like school. And I was like, cool, make a presentation about your first day at school. She was incredible. She blew my mind. I was like, what is this? That's the key. If you're an educator listening or somebody wants to teach somebody else, especially if they're younger, you want to treat them as if they're the same age as you and empower them to take ownership of the project. And that's how they get better at communication. And another thing that I'll point out back to the audience obsessive thing, I obviously don't coach the kids for money, right? You know, the executives pay me a lot more than the kids, than their kids that I coach. The reason I do it and so I'm always understanding the psychology of people who are six, eight, ten to keep my video sharp. That's why I do it. Oh, that's that's perfect. Like that. That's I couldn't imagine um, years ago. I wouldn't have been able to imagine how a six-year-old would respond. But now I'm doesn't surprise me. I've watched two-year-olds grab a tablet, activate an app, go onto YouTube Kids, and start watching videos, and they're two. At two, I was I was trying to figure out how to play with blocks. Right? It's just our our, our children today are inundated with so much more, um, not just technology, so much more noise. Some of it good, some of it bad, and they develop their thought processes so much more um, quicker than I believe kids have even ten years ago, twenty years ago. I see the difference in how my kids now that are adults to their, my grandkids and stuff. So that's amazing. And yet it's not amazing of what you said a six-year-old would, you know, how they respond because they are, they're our future and you're helping our future be the best possible individuals, relationship builders, communicators, and maybe potential future leader of our country or countries. So congrats, especially at such a young age, right? You're 24 right? Right. Yes. Congratulations, man. Like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine what you're going to, what you're, what heights you're going to accomplish at 30. So I'm so proud now to be part of your, um, now that we've connected, you're part of my network. I'm part of your network where we, you know, you're one of my new friends and I look forward to, uh, you know, sending people to you that I think it require that level of compassion and caring and connection 
and where you're always thinking at a at an age level to communicate so that they don't have to feel stressed they don't have to you know feel like they have to be you know under a microscope so congratulations good job appreciate it so you know this question we've kind of talked about it um in regards to so I know myself, I never used to believe this. I do now, and you have talked a little bit about it. So do you honestly believe that anybody with practice can become a good public speaker or, uh, or get into online presentations? Absolutely, without a doubt. And I'm the living example of this. If I could present in French my whole life and go on to speak uh, you know, in stages that you know, we would, I would have thought possible at the beginning, yeah, it'd be crazy. So, but the thing I want to add here is Every skill is, is the, it works in the same way. If you have the right coach, you have the right teacher, you have the right content that you're following and listening to, you can get 80% of it done. It just, we don't, seem, we don't seem to believe that that's true with public speaking, right? Let's say piano, you want to master a song. Sure, you might not be a pianist in like the symphony unless you really work hard at it. You put those hours and you get the right training. You could still play a couple of songs and still figure it out. Same thing with public speaking. At the beginning, you know, you were worried. There's like so many things to think about, like eye contact and ums and ahs, things like that. But if you slowly celebrate the small wins, not the fake it till you make it stuff, but rather saying, okay, this presentation, let me focus on my mirroring. If I'm talking about a happy moment in my life and presentations, do I look like this? Am I happy about it? Or do I look like this? Like, so, you know, or do I look sad for those who are listening to the audio? But the idea is simple one skill at a time, one fragment of public speaking at a time. And the beauty of communication is once you master those small fragments, the skill is a multiplier, which means as you get better at presentations, you also get better at conversations. As you get better at conversations, means you get better at podcast facilitation. And overall, you master one vertical that adds the most impact to your life, you'll end up mastering them all eventually. Yeah, you know, and I think when we get better at being a communicator, as you said, it goes from one to the other. We come better at uh, communication after we become better at presenting and stuff. Um, it also makes us live a happier life in the sense of uh, we become more grateful for communication. When we understand the power of communication, we actually truly listen to what other people are saying to us. I think it gives us a natural form of gratitude for the human condition and human connection with other people. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. You know, and going back to this whole idea that communication is everything that you do, the better that you get at it, the easier it is for you to share your ideas with the world. Whether that idea is, you know, you're looking at your partner, or your kids, and you're like, can you go get the milk? Or, or it's something like this, you know, creating a, a magical... Uh, a vehicle to share important ideas with people who need to hear them. Yeah, awesome. So you speak on topics such of such as understanding what stories stick in the mind of an audience. Obviously, I gleaned that from your site. Uh, so I'll say that again. You speak on topics such as understanding what stories stick in the mind of an audience. Can you explain why stories are so powerful when presenting a topic? And why is placement during the presentation of a story so important to achieve the maximum effect? So two-part question. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the, the way that I think about storytelling is stories are definitely an important part of who we are, and I'll explain why. If I were to summarize storytelling in one sentence, the following. 
Storytelling is showing your audience that you understand them more than they even do. That's why Disney movies or personal stories are so effective because it's not that we relate to you. It's that we see ourselves in you. So let's say in my case, I had an alcoholic father. So let's say when I talk about that, somebody who looks at me and listens to me goes, oh, I had one too. It's not about me. It's about the fact that I am the, the bridge in which they relate to themselves. But what I will also add that not many people talk about in the industry is I think most people who are listening should not be focusing on storytelling. So why do I believe that? The reason I believe that is simple. Storytelling is too hard for people who are just getting started in public speaking. If you're giving a presentation and your story sounds like this, so do I have this uh, uh, milk in the morning? Like, it, it's the same thing with sports. You've got to focus on the basics first. Yeah. You can still practice storytelling. You can write some things that you think are memorable that add value. But if I were to pick the sequence, you know, the order in which you master it, start with the fundamentals first. Pick one topic that you can do many times because the best speakers in the world present the same thing hundreds of times, right? So let's say I take you as an example. Make a presentation of your own podcast. You're always going to be promoting it anyways. So you might as well make a presentation. So at the beginning, your, your presentation might sound something like this. Hey, you know, my name is Dwight. I got this podcast. This is what it does. This is who I'm trying to help. Done. But then when you do that presentation 50 times, then it sounds something like this. I woke up one morning on your, my 52nd birthday and I thought, wow, you know what I mean? Anyways, the point that I'm driving is the story doesn't start like that. It develops over time after you've gained the confidence of acknowledging yourself as a great speaker. Then you're going to be very vulnerable and very open about your life and your stories to people who need to hear them. But you need to start somewhere and don't start with storytelling. Wow. You know, that's a great way of, yeah, thank you. That is good though, you know, because so many people today talk about, you know, um, trying to think of that book, Dennis Miller story, is it story brand? Story brand. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You know, um, you know, you, you look at all the people that use that as a, like a, well, you know, no, no disrespect to the religious community because I'm part of that, but you know, they use like a Bible and they talk about stories you know, storytelling and stuff, but you put it really well, though. At first, our stories sound monotone. There's no energy. Um, you know, part of what you said earlier, too, about marrying, too, we have to think about where is our audience at and take our energy level above that. So when I'm face to face with people, it's easy for me to see they're at energy level here. Uh, for those listening, they're at an energy level, let's say, of, uh, you know, 50% and I have to bring my energy level up to 60%. Well, now all of a sudden when you're doing video or you're doing just audio, you are speaking to a massive audience that you don't have a clue what the energy level is. So you have to find some sort of um, baseline of energy to communicate and become very fluent. Um, so I know with videos and storytelling, my first videos or be like, you're talking about, you know, hi, this is Dwight. And then the next one's, hi, this is Dwight. You know what I mean? But practicing in, and strengthening that, that mental muscle of understanding, I need to not just get better at the stories. Think about my audience. 
pretend I'm one of the people listening to me and what, and what I listen to me? Is my energy level at a point where, yeah, it might drive some listeners away? Because sometimes if we dial our energy up too high, you can push people away, right? So you don't, so it's, it's really, I, I'm still working on that myself, um, trying to get that level where I'm not too much, but I'm not, you know, too low either. Um, so, you know, tying that into the stories and, and videos, do you have any, you know, thoughts in regards to when you're presenting to ensure that you attract more than you repel? Right. So the general rule of thumb that I like to give people is this idea that the reason you're not engaging is not because you're boring. It's because you haven't presented the same presentation enough times. Okay. So maybe people come up to you and they go, or come up to me rather and go, Hey, Brendan, how do, what's your special trick to uh, get people more engaged? Is it to tell a joke 73 minutes in? Is it to be a little sarcastic at the beginning? Say a little joke. That stuff are, are band-aid solutions. They don't fix the core issue, which is the following. So Billy, how many times have you given this presentation? And he goes, twice. I go, do you know how many times I gave my presentation? The same one today? He goes, I don't know. I said 350. 350. Oh. That's the thing. Let, let me kind of explain the, the sequence here. So at Please. the beginning, yes. when, you give, when you make a presentation, what happens is you're really only asking yourself one question, which is the following. What content should I put in this thing? I got this presentation a couple of days, never presented. I got to figure out the content. So when you're standing up there and it's your second time giving the presentation, your first one, you're not really thinking about engaging the crowd. You want to make sure you get all your points right. You, got, you wrote all your note cards. You, you did all the slides. Though I hate cue cards, but anyways, the point is, you know, you're trying to do your best. And after it's the 20th time you present the same thing, by then, you, you know the content, right? You, you know what you're talking about at this point. And that's what happened to me, by the way. Uh, you know, at the beginning, I wasn't very confident as a speaker, even if I was the speaker of speakers. And I wasn't really good. But after 20 times presenting the same thing, I, the, the line of questioning would change from what content should I put in this thing to, huh, what emotions am I conveying here? Is my audience actually listening to me? Do they even care about what I'm saying? Is there a way to make this better? And that's when, when the flip switches or when the, when, you know, when it switches, you'd start to have dinners with, you know, the people, you know, breakfast, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. You start to talk to the audience one-on-one -on -one in the same way all the best people in the world do. And Tony Robbins still has one-on-one -on -one conversations with the general public, Gary Vee too, and everyone else. And through those conversations, you start to realize, oh, I got to change this. I got to change this. Got to change this. Let me make this more concrete with myself. Because I was very insecure at the beginning of my speaking career, because I was 22 and I was speaking to people like you, essentially, people are double my age with a double of experience. I was very nervous. So I just gloated a lot about my accomplishments. Oh, this is, these are my client lists. This is what I do. And then I did the same thing with the six-year-old. And she asked me this question that was so powerful that I always remember. She just looked at me and said, what's a CEO? And I just went, right, what is a CEO, really? Who cares, right? So that's when I realized that my goal as a speaker was not to teach people communication, but rather convince my audience that they could do it in the first place. So when that shifted for me, after probably 25 times of giving the same presentation, my introductions changed rapidly from, I'm Brendan, this is what I do, this is who I am, to, you know, when I was five years old, my whole life from that moment, I had to give presentations in a language I didn't know. And that's how I convinced my audience, whether they were executives or companies, 
or young teenagers that they should all be mastering communication. But that's the punchline, Dwight. If you want to be engaging, you need to be willing to present the same idea hundreds of times. But for the sake of people who are getting started, dozens of times would be great. Wow, Brandon. Unbelievable. Um, Like I said earlier, you can learn stuff from people of all walks of life, all ages. And your take and your um, the way you look at stuff and explain it. I really appreciate it. I know I myself, I'm going to be listening back to this, taking more notes and as well interjecting quite a bit of what you talk about into my own, you know, life in regards to presenting and um, being more, oh, what sort of looking to, you know, having that connection at that six-year-old level. Um, yeah, so that's awesome. So what would you say in your life are some things that you wish you had done better on the road to where you're currently are at? A couple of things. I'll give you two. The first one is this following idea that the quality of your life is solely determined by the quality of the questions that you're willing to ask yourself. I'm not special. I'm not important. I'm not much different than the next person, but the difference if I had to name, if I had to point a finger on one, is that I was willing to ask the hard questions early. I'll give you the secret sauce to my success. It's one habit, and it's a habit nobody talks about on shows that drives me mad. And the habit is ask yourself a hard question about life every day. And in 30 days, you'll be a different human being. Let me get you started. What are you pretending not to know? If you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? Or better, if you died tomorrow, what would your funeral speech say about you? And what you did, what you accomplished, what you stood for. Once again, Dwight, the difference between me and everyone else is not that I'm more special or more unique. It's that I wrote my own funeral speech when I was 21. Right? So when I looked at that and I realized I didn't have that much long to live, even if I was fairly young, as you alluded to in this show, kind of just I'm not young at all. I just have a head start. I'm dead in like 30, 40, 50 years. So this reframes your thinking and allows you to question societal norms very quickly so that you realize every rule in the book is made up. I'll give you the best one. So Dwight, this is what you're supposed to do with your life. You're supposed to have two and a half kids, not five. I don't know why you have five kids. You're supposed to have two and a half. And you're supposed to have a white picket fence. You're not allowed to pick the color of the fence, right? And you need to have two cars, not one. Because if you have one car, you look like a bozo. So you need two cars. Who made up these rules? Who told us that we need to retire at 65 when Kobe Bryant died at 41 and Steve Jobs, who had access to the best doctors in the world, died at 56? When you start to question everything, that is when you start to create your own rules, which brings me to the second part of what I wish I learned at 15 rather than 20, I guess, is my favorite mantra that I won't take credit for, but I kind of came up with in my basement is the following. Be insane or be the same. If you want to be like everyone else, that's totally fine. But if you made it 54 minutes into this conversation, you probably want to do something important for your life. So the only advice that really matters from me, Dwight, is the following. If you want to do something great, you need to be insane. There's no other way around it. Don't you find it odd that a 22-year-old kid started a YouTube channel in his parents' basement on executive communication tips, not pranks or vlogs like any other normal person, and then started coaching CEOs a year later, but also 
is sitting on a mattress while he's talking to you, still lives in his mother's basement, doesn't own a car, can karaoke in eight different languages, dances alone in his basement for an hour a day, and doesn't plan on moving out for a very long time. How do any of these decisions make any sense at all? And that, my friend, is the point. When every decision in your life makes sense to the only person that matters, which is you, you're probably making the right call. Wow, so powerful. Uh, you know, we're definitely going to have to have uh, another conversation and get together again. I've learned so much. Um, so, Brendan, if we had to give our listeners one last closing message as we're about to close up here, what would you tell them into regards to giving a heck and never giving up? I would say, for me, in the context of communication anyways, we all have one idea to share. And the reason I started this thing is because I know there are millions of ideas out there that I can't vet, that I can't determine whether they're good or not, but that need to be shared. Because if we all lived in a world where everyone shared their ideas and their thoughts, we would realize that all of our ideas matter and that we matter. So if there's anything I would love for all of you to take action on is that one idea you have, you're better off sharing it and use me as the example to follow. If a 22-year-old can go up against PhDs in a subject and say that he's better than them, I'm sure there's a cupcake recipe. There's something that you love that you just do better than anyone else. And as you become more insane, you'll start to realize that, and then you'll take action on it. So go for it. Wow, great, Brandon. That's amazing. Thank you. Well, our time is almost up. I want to respect our listeners and your time. Um, However, before we end, can you please tell the listeners what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I always like to end with a book recommendation, then I guess my sure. stuff. go ahead. So book recommendation on public speaking, as you can probably tell, I'm a very unconventional guy. So I'll recommend an unconventional book, which is called Thirst by Scott Harrison. Scott's the CEO of Charity Water, super smart guy, highly recommend the read. He's very smart about the way that he thinks about philanthropy and storytelling. So I would check that out. As for me, if you want to check out the YouTube videos, Master Talk is the best way of getting to me. So that's one word on YouTube, and you can check out all my public speaking videos there. And if you want to message me directly, Instagram's the best way. My handle is Master Your Talk. Amazing. Thanks so much for being on Give a Hack, Brendan. I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experience, right? So that others can learn to, you know, never, that it's never too late to give a hack about their lives. So, for the listeners, check out Brendan. Um, what an amazing conversation we've had today. You know, reach out, ask him questions because you're never too young. You're never too old to want to change and learn how to communicate better with others. And if you decide that you want to be that person that's, you know, starting up their YouTube channel in the basement and you're, you know, whatever you want, dream. And just go out and put the action in place and find the mentors that can help you rise to the occasion. God bless everybody. We'll talk to you next time. And, you know, don't ever forget to give a heck. Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to Give a Heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. 
This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com. And until next time, together let us all strive to give a heck.